With the 14th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Folks, we are here at the end of the road. I'm not going to get all boys and men on you, but this is the farewell edition of the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA for the 2017 NFL Draft. I'm Chris McPherson alongside Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. And gentlemen, I can't believe it's already over. It's a uh, it's a sad day, but it's a bright day. You know, you look forward to the future. You can't relish in the past. <laughs> Just excited about what the 2018 NFL draft brings. <laughs> Fran, when the final pick is made, uh, how for, first of all, how quickly do you transition in next year? And you do you want, just you take? Don't, you don't really do you, want to know do you the take a, to I feel like when the last pick is made, when so when Chad Kelly gets announced as Mister Irrelevant, yep. you kind of just sit there in a dark room for hours and just think about everything. That was my plan for Sunday, but I got, that got derailed quickly. So uh, no, that that was not what I spent my Sunday doing. <laughs> so, folks, uh, first of all, we just wanted to thank all of you who joined us on Eagles Draft Central, presented by Deaton Watson, for our three days of NFL draft coverage. Uh, it was so much fun being a part of the experience. Um, you know, so many talented people working behind the scenes to help make the show come to life. Uh, we want to thank you all for your support throughout this season on the podcast. The numbers have been tremendous. The comments have been amazing. The support has been phenomenal. Uh, but I just want to give a shout-out to the city of Philadelphia and Eagles fans. Absolutely. They truly were the stars of the 2017 NFL draft. You know, I wasn't there in person at all for the three days. Everyone was telling me how great it was. You, ha- you got to get down there at some point. I wasn't able to experience it firsthand, but uh, we actually were we were just watching some of the highlights a short time ago before recording this, and I, I still get goosebumps seeing the fight song being sung, uh, the pictures of the throngs of people that packed the Ben Franklin Parkway before the Eagles pick on Thursday night, um, the cheers that went up when – when the picks were announced, uh, the back and forth with Drew Pearson from the Cowboys, B-Dog and B-West then kicking things off on the final day. Just an unbelievable atmosphere. You know, it just represented the city on the biggest of stages in a tremendous way. It is literally impossible for you to watch the Sidney Jones selection (laughs) without getting goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Literally, it's impossible. I've watched it like a dozen times. (laughs) Every single time, raise the hairs on the back of my neck. Yeah, it was just kind of the perfect, you know, the perfect blend of everything in that moment because the fan, the fans just loved the pick. As soon as Sidney Jones was announced, you could just hear the roar, and then that transitioned into "Fly Goes Fly." But uh, guys, I had the opportunity to go down there for night one. Don't rub it in. Uh, I'm gonna have to for a little bit here, but it was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, I was at the draft last year in Chicago, which was great. I mean, they did a really nice job in Chicago. In Chicago, but. Uh, Nothing like this. I mean, this was outdoors. It was a party. It was it was Woodstock meets the NFL. I've heard some other people say that uh, with far less arrests, infinitely less arrests. In fact, there uh, were none. There were none. No right. So so great job there. No, but really, in all seriousness, uh, the fans of Philadelphia represented this city. I think you know it, far better than anyone thought that they would. Uh, but it was just an unbelievable time from start to finish throughout the weekend. 
I really, really hope the draft stays here next year. I know it, it's still in the works. I know there's an option on both sides, but I really hope that it's here again next year. I believe, and I have no inside knowledge, I think the NFL was probably, this is a one-year thing. Yeah. But after the way it went down, they're probably like, we can take it to Dallas to an indoor facility. It won't be the same. I think down the line they want to get to L.A. and, and make that kind of the hub of all the marquee events. Yeah, I, I, you're not going to do it the way Philly did it this it, year. Even if it doesn't come back, though, it's almost like a mic drop by the city. Like, we had our one, and it was perfect. You know, if that's the last one, so be it, because it was incredible. Yeah, Trey Wingo from ESPN tweeted uh, on Saturday evening, that basically summed it up. Philly set the standard for what every future NFL draft city would want to be able to do. Philly set the standard this weekend. And it's amazing because it was in New York for how many years? It was in Chicago as the first part of the road trip. And Alex, in the, the column that you wrote on your first-person perspective, mm-hmm. Philly's always been looked at as like the little brother sure. to those cities, mm-hmm. not when it came to the NFL draft, not this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, everyone who lives in this city knows that you know outside of the city, Philly gets a bad rap. And I think a lot of people who live here will spend a lot of time you know, defending a city and saying, you know, if you come down here, if you spend some time here, it's really... It's it's not a bad place at all. In fact, it's it's a great city. It's an incredible city, uh, and on you know the brightest stage with the entire NFL world watching, uh, Philadelphia outdid itself. So it was incredible. All right, so let's give you a quick rundown of what's going to happen here. Our draft buzz. We're going to look at the Eagles selections, all eight of them. Give in-depth scouting reports, some background info where they each fit in. Our pick six. Six players who benefited the most from the draft. Our unofficial visit will be our interview with cornerback Sidney Jones, the team's second-round selection, and we'll finish things off in our draft mailbag. So first up, it's Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. With the 14th pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Eagles selected Derek Barnett, defensive end out of Tennessee, and gentlemen, what were your thoughts as you watched those first 13 picks unfold, trying to figure out where the Eagles might go at number 14? Well, I cried a little bit at number five. I may have <laughs> let out a whimper or so at number seven when you saw the two <laughs> receivers go off the board. Um, but when you see the three quarterbacks go, you saw all three receivers go, you saw one of the two big safeties go, you saw Hassan Reddick go. So when you saw all those players come off the board – you knew they're gonna have they're gonna have some players available, and they did have some great options. I mean, who would have guessed that the Eagles would have had the the pick of Derek Barnett, Reuben Foster, Malik Hooker, Jonathan Allen, like some great players were all on the board. OJ Howard, outstanding. I mean, they had five outstanding players on the board to them. Derek Barnett didn't make it to the Eagles in any of the mock drafts that we did. Uh, any of the mock drafts that I had seen, all going between picks, we'll say seven and eleven. He, that's where uh, Derek Barnett had been coming off the board. He falls into the Eagles' laps at fourteen. He's the number one player on the board for them, and makes a ton of sense. We talked about the quarterbacks so much and how great it would be if two of them went. And in this far off world where you know we just imagined three quarterbacks going before the Eagles, and it happened. Which was unbelievable that it happened. Teams, you know, desperate for quarterbacks, they trade up, they make the move. So that's the great part for the Eagles. 
But then the wide receivers went early, like you talked about, Fran, uh, which a lot of people didn't think was going to happen. Everybody thought, you know, the corners would go early, Jonathan Allen would go early, and those receivers, those offensive weapons would get pushed back to the Eagles, and it didn't work out that way. So in, in that way, it was kind of a weird combination of you had the good with the quarterbacks going, but the bad with the receiver run as well. But with everything being said and everything being equal, I think Derek Barnett is an outstanding pick for the Eagles. He fills a need, but not only that, I think he was – probably the best player on the board at that point. Uh, he's a tremendous player, uh, a really nice person in the time that we've got to know him as well. I think he's going to fit in really well because I think he's a guy who's just going to put his head down and work. So uh, I'm all in on this pick. There are themes that, to me, emerge during the course of the draft here. And first, you look at elite production. You know, we've talked about the 33 sacks, breaking Reggie White's record at Tennessee, most sacks of anyone in this draft class, but young, 20 years old. You know, so to have 10 sacks, double-digit sacks, as a true freshman in the SEC, to have three seasons of double-digit sacks, to have the youth on his side, a mentally tough player, high football IQ, is going to help redefine the culture yep. in the locker room. When you spoke to Chris Wilson and the assistant coaches and, you know, Doug Pierce and Harry Roseman and Joe Douglas, like, they just talked about how they want to get players in this building who are going to set the tone for this franchise moving forward. And Derek Barnett leads the way in terms of getting those good, high-character players in the NovaCare complex. Yeah, and I encourage everyone to read his Players' Tribune article uh, if you haven't read it yet. I know we retweeted it on uh, from the official Eagles account as well, but it's really it's, it's an open letter to NFL teams about who he is uh, and what he wants to be as a player. And it, it's all about how he's worked hard his entire life, uh, talks a lot about his relationship with his mom as well. His mom's been someone who's had to work, you know, two or three different jobs, um, and she's still going to keep working even now that her son's an NFL player. Uh, and j just kind of the the hard work and and you know that idea that she passed down to him. So I definitely encourage uh, everyone to read that article because I think it's some really good insight into the kind of player who he is. And I think it's also important when you go back to the on field, you talk about how he fits the scheme and the impact that he could have. I mean. His get-off, his first step, his ability to jump the snap, I think is what really kind of attracts uh, the, this staff to him and his ability to fit in Jim Schwartz's scheme. He's got the ability to threaten the edge. Uh, he's not 100% polished with his hands yet, but he's got rare flexibility in his lower half. And that was one of the things uh, I broke down with Chris Wilson, the defensive line coach, on Friday for Eagles Draft Central. He came in and did a, film, a couple of film breakdowns, and you saw that flexibility in his knees and in his ankles. To, the ability to turn the corner uh, is, is not easy to find. And when you have that ability to rush the quarterback on one edge, you pair that with a Fletcher Cox. You pair that with Brandon Graham. Now you're helping make the rest of the defense better because that ball is either coming out quicker or not coming out at all because of the rush on the quarterback. And you have so much depth now to the defensive line. This was a position that didn't have a need per se. You added Chris Long. You got rid of Connor Barwin. You still have Vinnie Curry. But I think they needed some kind of long-term solution at the position more than anything else. Yep. And Barnett will probably provide some immediate impact as someone who maybe you say he's a third down rush end to start things off. Chris Long maybe is on the field first and second down. You can slide Vinnie Curry inside. Uh, I just think it gives Jim Schwartz a lot of options there along the defensive line. Yeah, and you talk about also the nickel package, and the Eagles spend so much time, like every NFL team, in their sub package. 
How about a nickel package of Vinnie Curry inside with Fletcher Cox and you have both Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham on the outside? I mean, that could be a formidable front that will be really fun to watch when you look at that front. I, I, I think I'm, you know, the addition of Barnett is really intriguing for this defense. So we'll move on to the Eagles' second-round pick, at number 43 overall. They went with cornerback Sidney Jones, which was a surprise to us because we were on the podcast – I forgive we asked this answer this question the mock draft episode or the one with Tony Pauline. It was a recent episode where we kind of debated where we would take Sidney Jones, and we didn't think that the Eagles would go to to him at number forty three. But this is where it's not just the coaches, not just the scouts, the medical department plays a huge role. And I think with some of the prospects in this draft class, when you look at Reuben Foster with the shoulder, Dalvin Cook with with his shoulder, John Ross with the knees. The medical team played a huge role in this draft in trying to figure out which guys will be good for the long term. And Sidney Jones is a player who the Eagles medical staff felt very, very good about with the fact that, once again, he's young. He's a scheme fit. You know, he's going to have plenty of time to come back from the injury, the Achilles injury that he suffered as pro day. Uh, but this is a player who the Eagles just felt was too good a value, a player who would have been in the conversation number 14 if mm -hmm. he were healthy. But to me, I don't think he gets to number 14 yeah. if he's healthy because most people thought that he was the top corner in this draft class, not Marshawn Lattimore, not Gary Conley, not Marlon Humphrey. They thought it was one Sidney Jones. I think you can make the argument that the upside of this is the Eagles potentially could have drafted two top 10 players in this draft with their first two round picks because the quarterbacks got bumped up that slid Derek Barnett down a little bit but I think you can certainly make an argument that Derek Barnett was a top 10 player talent wise in this draft and the same for Sidney Jones like you just said C-Mac he was probably the best cornerback uh, definitely would have been in play for the Eagles at 14 if he would have fell that far um, and of course it's a risk and people are going to look at it uh, and you know you can't a lot of people can't help but look at the Sixers and compare it to that situation. I don't want to compare it to that situation at all because I don't think that's what it's going to be. Uh, I think that the medical staff in place here with the Eagles does a fantastic job, uh, and I'm just really, really looking forward to seeing Sidney Jones on the field, guys. I think when – and you guys know how I set up my notes, right? When I'm watching guys and I, and I write down all my notes in one place so that, uh, you know, just collect myself and my thoughts – one of the one of the things I'll do is I'll list out a player's best traits, right? So I have Sidney Jones notes right here in front of me, and I made uh, his best traits, or I named his best traits as his length, his ability to disrupt, his instincts, his physicality in the run game, and his ball skills. How many of those traits are affected by a torn Achilles? I wouldn't list that. I wouldn't say any. So I, you're taking a player that even if he were affected you know, in terms of his speed and his quickness by that Achilles down the road, I think he's still a very, very good player, and I think you've got the ability to be a starting cornerback on the outside and a high-level starting corner when you look at the Richard Shermans of the world and, and other players of that position. It's not about 4-3 speed. It's not about, you know, running a, a you know a six-second three-cone. It's about the instincts, the ball skills, the toughness, the competitiveness, and those are all traits that Sidney Jones does have. And, and I think that's why the Eagles got really good value in a player that they feel really comfortable with at number 43, if not for 2017, then for 2018 and beyond. You look at elite production, nine interceptions. Uh, to me, it's just too good to pass up, you know, and seem like a great kid, you know, from all the coaches said about him the way he's attacked the rehab. I remember uh, John Ross during the pre-draft process uh, was asked about Sidney Jones, and, and John Ross said, you know, 
the next day after the injury, he was like ready to go and and ready to get after it and willing to do whatever it was going to take to get back on the field. So he's got the right mindset coming into it. You know, he's come. He's just coming into a great situation here in Philadelphia. But again, when you look at the youth, the production, and the fact that we talked about the Washington secondary a lot during the pre-draft process. Mm-hmm. Kevin King, Buda Baker, a lot of talent there. St. Jones is the best of the bunch, though. Yeah, absolutely. He was the top guy. It's like Kevin King was an afterthought until Sidney Jones got injured, and then all of a sudden Kevin King, who's a good corner of his own right, and I was, I was certainly hoping that he might be the guy for the Eagles at number 43, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case. Yeah, but again, it all goes back to you know a few months ago before Sidney Jones in, injures his Achilles, and if you're saying, the okay, you as an Eagles fan, you can either have Sidney Jones or Kevin King, it wasn't even close. It was Sidney Jones by a mile. Um, and, and I think for people who look at it and say, oh, maybe 43 is too high to take him, there was 56 picks between the Eagles' picks here. So they, they had number 43 and then not again until number 99. So do you think that every team was going to skip on him at least once and some teams skip on him twice before he got back on the board again, number 99? I think that was highly unlikely. So the Eagles really liked him. They liked him throughout the entire process. They felt comfortable with his medical records. Uh, so I, I, I like this pick a lot too here, guys. Uh, you know, it's again – uh, an, an impact starter once he gets on the field. My thing here with the second round pick, sometimes the best picks are the ones that don't happen. And I'll be honest, and I've been very vocal about this, I don't want Dalvin Cook to be an Eagle. Okay? I think nor, there's... Nor the guy who went to the Cincinnati Bengals. But focus on Dalvin Cook because there, yeah. there, were a lot, there was a lot of buzz on Friday if Cook was on the board, if he were on the board, would the Eagles take him? And... Judging from the comments in the press conference, it looked like that he might have been the guy for the Eagles number 43. The off-field stuff, enough red flags there to say, I don't know if I'm all that interested, no matter how good he is. But on the field, look, explosive player, but fumbling issues, medical concern. There are, there are a lot of things, both on and off the field, that made you wonder. What was the stat from Josh Norris that no one with his with his athletic profile had ever gone in the first round? In the first round in right. 18 years. So serious question marks all across the board. I breathe a sigh of relief when the Minnesota Vikings traded up <laughs> to select him, knowing probably full well that the Eagles were set to take him at 43. So on that note, there's a player we don't – we're not going to get in depth on him here. Well, you have to include it as part of the draft class. Uh, you ruined it for me. I was going to talk about this guy later. <sighs> Sorry. It's all right. No, you're right. You're 100% correct. Because nobody talks about the fact that Tim Jernigan yeah. is part of the Eagles draft class mm-hmm. because of the trade with the Baltimore Ravens. So, right. you know, Alex, you just mentioned how the Eagles had to wait that long time between the second and third round picks, mm-hmm. due in large part because the Eagles made the trade to get Jernigan. So you're looking at the players that they selected this weekend, those three days, but Tim Jernigan – who's going to be your starter mm-hmm. opposite Fletcher Cox is a huge part of the equation as well. So I'm sorry for anything. No, it's all right. You're 100% correct. So in the third round, the actual third round, the Eagles selected Rasul Douglas with Love a it. 99th overall selection, and Alex is beaming. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I've tweeted this out a couple times, and if you go back and listen to any of our podcasts, I've been a big Rasul Douglas fan since I got to – I first saw him play at the Senior Bowl – um, and, and he impressed me there right away because he's competing with some of the best receivers in the country who are down there, and he won almost every one-on-one battle that I saw him have with guys. He's a competitive guy. He's a fiery guy. He's not afraid to get in your face, and I looked at him as a prospect, and I said, this is exactly what Jim Schwartz wants. He's a, a huge corner as well. He's six foot two, 
Uh, I think he's like 210 pounds. He's a big guy. He's going to be physical. Uh, and I think that he fits into what this city wants as a player, and he fits into, like I said, what Jim Schwartz wants. So I was all in on this pick at number 99. I think uh, looking at all these guys aside from Derek Barnett, I think Rasul Douglas has the best chance to be a day-one starter for this team. Yeah, and I think when you look at his traits, you know, he's got physicality, he's got length, he's got ball skills. I mean, it's and I, I talked with Corey Unlin about it on Friday. He's he or on Saturday morning actually, and uh, Coach Unlin talked about how it's not it's not easy to find corners that show the ability in college to find the ball downfield. And Douglas can do that. Uh, he had eight interceptions last year. He was the first team All Big Twelve, second team All American in his first year as a starter. You talked about his performance down in Mobile, Alex. He was the practice player of the week down at the Senior Bowl in the secondary. Uh, Douglas has size. I think in any other draft, he probably would have gone. Uh, in the second round, I think, but the fact that this cornerback draft was so good uh, kind of bumped him down the board a little bit. And everyone, you know, a lot of fans are like, "Oh, what about his speed? His speed?" Listen, if Razul Douglas had run a four-four flat instead of a four-five-six, he wouldn't have been drafted in '99. He would have been drafted in the top twenty of the draft. I mean, he's got everything else that you want at the cornerback position. So I'm, I agree. I'm really, really excited about this selection and the fit in this defense. I love during the uh, draft weekend on the shows, Eagles Draft Central, co-hosting with Ike Reese. Ike was just moved personally by Rasul's backstory of being at Nassau Community College, you know, very little money for, for meals, not quite sure where his next meal was going to come from, just battling all the way to get himself to West Virginia and to become a third-round pick in the NFL draft. Uh, Ike was like, this is a guy who I can get behind and who the city is going to get behind. So I think Eagles fans are going to love him. I agree, Alex. He's probably the odds-on favorite to be uh, a day-one starter or the first day-one starter out of this draft class at this point when you look at the quarterback depth chart. Um, but just in terms of the tools he brings to the field, the mental approach, you know, again, it's going back to setting the culture in the locker room and getting just mentally and physically tough guys. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles have found three of them right off the bat with Barnett Jones and Douglas and what's amazing when I go back to St. Judge for a quick second how he's very soft-spoken in his interviews but when you see him on the field it's like night and day it's reminiscent I'm not making a Brian Dawkins playing comp but just the mental approach comp where if you see Brian Dawkins around the Novacare complex nicest guy in the world love to chat with him but you don't want to mess with Brian Dawkins nope. on the football rip field your head off. exactly <laughs> so so those are the first three picks now into day three, the Eagles finally looked at the offense. And you can then say special teams a little bit here with the first selection in the fourth round at number 118 overall, Mac Hollins, the wide receiver from North Carolina, or as he'll be known in Philadelphia as Matt Collins. Matt Collins, yeah, that's going to be his name when uh, people call in about him. Uh, but, n- no, I mean, looking at him, I think a lot of people, a, a lot of fans out there are, are saying, you know, oh, he's a good special teams player. And I go back to what Howie Roseman said where they look at him as a wide receiver first and what he can bring to the offense first. Uh, his ability on special teams will be great. I'm sure it'll help you know, Dave Phipps' crew a ton. But Matt Collins can bring a lot to this offense. A former walk-on at North Carolina, a guy who's just worked his way up. He's worked for everything that he's earned. And he's a big play threat. He's six foot four, but he's still a home run hitter type of guy. I think he averaged 20 yards per catch throughout his career. 
um, a big physical receiver, and he, you know he can do a little bit of everything. So I think the question is, you know, how are the Eagles going to use him in the offense? Will he play inside? Will they line him up in the slot at times? Uh, I think there's a lot of possibilities with a guy like Mac Hollins. Yeah, you talked about his big play threat. I think when you look at Mac Hollins, he was injured for a good ch- chunk of this year with a collarbone injury. But you go back to 2015, he was third team all conference. He le- <clears throat> led the entire country in yards per catch. 24.8 yards per catch uh, was an outstanding deep threat for the Tar Heels. And I, like you said, a former walk-on, four-time special teams captain uh, for that team. And, and his ability to both stretch the field and then also impact the game as a blocker, as a special teamer. He needs to get a little bit better as a route runner. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you look at Matt Collins, I mean, he's got the ability right out of the box, like, Take him out of the box. Right right now, he's a fourth receiver on an NFL team because he does all those little things. He can stretch the field. He's a great special teamer. I mean, he, he's ready-made right now to play in the, in the league. The question is, now what's his upside? And I think that the Eagles definitely feel that he has starting upside in the NFL as well. When you look at Matt Collins being a fourth receiver, you bring up a great point here, Fran. The Eagles have not gotten special teams play out of the fourth receiver in quite some time, and I think that was an issue for the team last year where you had the guys like Doriel Green Beckham who just they don't play special teams. Mm-hmm. You know, so now you get a guy who brings the size, brings the speed, and you know what, if he's not going to be a major contributor to the offense in year one, he can help you in that third phase. So I definitely got giddy when he'll select him because of the special teams impact and you're already improving the best special teams unit in the league, but the upside is tremendous. Twenty touchdowns on eighty one career receptions. It was uh, Mike Bartram like, so to speak. A little, <laughs> little blast. Well done. The yeah, exactly. well done. A little nice throwback job. there. The long former long snapper slash tight end who pretty much all he caught were touchdowns. So um, but very excited to see Mac Hollins in this offense. So sticking in the fourth round at number one thirty two overall. Had someone in Mac Hollins who part time starter, you know, good production, but not supreme. Well, Donnell Pumphrey. The running back from San Diego State was only the all-time leading rusher in FBS history, 6,405 rushing yards. Um, interesting player because of the size, 5'8", 190 pounds. I know he's getting the Darren Sproles 2.0 comparisons, and I think they're valid in terms of how they'll be used. I'm going to think of another player who comes to mind resides in the NFC East, has been a thorn in the Eagles' side for the last couple of years, Cole Beasley. Mm. Okay, I think Pumphrey's going to bring more of the running back element, but in terms of a shifty, quick receiver um, who can just be a third-down threat, uh, get you those quick yards, I think Pumphrey reminds me a lot of Cole Beasley in that regard. Yeah, Pumphrey is a guy that really stood out to me early in the process. Is He's small. But man, he he's physical. He's instinctive. He's one of the you know pound for pound one of the toughest players I watched all year, regardless of position. I watched him against better competition than what he saw in the Mountain West, and he was outstanding as well. Uh, you know, competes in everything that he does, and obviously was extremely productive. Can impact the game in a number of different ways. Wasn't used often as a returner during his time at San Diego State, but I think the Aztecs coaching staff knew. You know what? Let's let's pump the brakes on him with special teams. We don't want him to get hurt. Let's keep him on offense. But I think that that would be a role that he could also potentially fill at the NFL is can he impact the game as a punt returner? Uh, and I think that he's a player that can. I think you can say a lot of the same things about Donnell Pumphrey that you could say about Christian McCaffrey as a player. 
I don't know who's going to have the better career. Coming out of those from two. you, this is like I almost fell out of my chair. Just I now. know. <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm a very big Christian McCaffrey fan, but in terms of you know a player, a running back who you can do a lot of different things with him. You can spread him out wide. He's a, a good route runner. He can catch the ball, but he also runs through the tackles better than a lot of people think. Uh, they both had a ton of touches in their career. They both were extremely productive in their careers in college. Uh, but I think Danell Pumphrey can do everything that Christian McCaffrey can do. Uh, is he going to be an every-down running back in the NFL? I don't think so, but I don't know. Uh, he could very well prove me wrong. Um, and every fan is going to you know, say that he's Darren Sproles 2.0 and he's going to be the exact same kind of player. If he's the same player that Darren Sproles is for the next you know, seven years, then the Eagles got themselves a steal here. Absolutely remarkable to say the least. So it's interesting because we all waited for the Eagles to take a running back. You know, we thought it might be there in the second round with Dalvin Cook. We figured going into day three, they have to address the position. You know, there were other guys on the board, guys who, you know, project to be feature backs or have the potential to be feature backs at the next level. Mm-hmm. But the Eagles felt very strongly about Pumphrey. They weren't as high on, on the other guys. And I like the fact the Eagles didn't reach. You know, that's something the Eagles, you know, when you talk about what was Joe Douglas's impact in terms of setting the draft board, how did the collaboration process work, you didn't feel like the Eagles reached for any of these picks here in this draft that, you know, they let the board come to them. You know, if they missed out on a few guys here and there, then so be it. Um, but they, at no point was I like, oh, man, it seemed like they could have got him a round or two later. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of that, I think that goes perfectly into the next draft pick that we're going to talk about in where – the Eagles actually traded back twice in what was it, round five, where you know they didn't reach for a player who was higher up their boards. They they let it come to them and they said, you know, if a couple of guys they had in mind weren't there, we're gonna trade back a few spots. And they did it two times and they end up with Shelton Gibson, who's a player that, you know, I think they've really liked the whole time and felt really comfortable trading back to spot one sixty six to get him. I'll tell you this story. When I was getting ready to go to the NFL Scouting Combine, uh, back in February, I'm at the airport. And uh, usually when I go out, it was, uh, I think it was Tuesday evening that I went out. Um, usually there's a couple of scouts. Usually the doctors are always on, on that flight. Um, and the Northeast scout, Ryan Myers, call him Tiny, uh, was on the flight. And we were talking, and I just kind of like, you know, who were some of your guys? You know, you've been scouting the whole Northeast, the entire, entire fall, you know, checking the tape. Who are some of your guys? And he had two guys who came to mind immediately for him. Rasul Douglas and Shelton Gibson. <laughs> so for the Eagles to get both of them shows obviously he had a great eye in selecting the guys, but it's just interesting that, you know, of all the players available that the Eagles get two of the guys in his region. How many questions have there been about do the Eagles have a West Virginia bias yet? <laughs> because obviously when Chip Kelly was here, it was, oh, the Oregon bias. Two West Virginia players in the same draft. I don't know, guys, what do you think? And last year, Wendell Smallwood as well. Uh, see, it's, it's taken over. Well, I think when you look at Shelton Gibson – you know, he, he's not a finished product, and that's why we honestly we haven't talked about him a ton on this podcast because, you know, he hasn't been in the national scope because he's not a great route runner yet. And when you look at him, especially in the quick game, everything in the quick game needs a lot more work. You know, he only ran routes from one side of the field. You did see some drops on quick slants and things like that. Uh, he does need to work on getting off press coverage. But two traits you can't teach with receivers, 
speed and then the ability to track the deep ball. You look at Deshaun Jackson and how many times where you know, he's running to the post and the ball's thrown 10 yards to the left of where his initial track is going and you see him looking in over his shoulder, almost running backwards, and he's able to track it. I mean, Shelton Gibson made plays like that on a weekly basis for West Virginia. He can go up and attack the football in the air despite his smaller frame. Uh, the, the ball skills and the speed you can't teach. And, and at, at this point, and it's really interesting – for the Eagle on the Sky podcast this week, it was Greg Cosell and I just talked for like 30 minutes in the beginning of round four. And we talked about day three of the draft. What's day three about? It's about finding players that fit specific roles on your roster or that have outstanding traits, one or two outstanding traits, and then a bunch of flaws that you try to mold. And the, that's absolutely the case with Shelton Gibson, a guy that uh, has that speed, has those ball skills. Now you want to refine the rest of his game and really trying to groom into something that can be an impact player. So is it the same format as you did last year where you just did same off one. the cuff, just, just riff went. or look forward to listen to it? It's up on the site right now. Perfect. As we speak. So Shelton Gibson there. Here's a question for you guys. I don't know if either of these guys will be a slot receiver for the Eagles. Not the in the classic sense of the Cole Beasley. They both can line up in the slot. They can line up there. Right. But I'm thinking of like Jordan Matthews is your guy. Sure, right. Bryce Trace can play there. You know, I don't know if I see Matt Collins or Gibson. They weren't really used in the slot right. in college. So uh, that's just one area when you're looking at how the Eagles have – remade the wide receiver position that that position in its of itself has not really been overhauled yeah I think that's interesting and both guys that they have added can play there Torrey Smith can play there uh it's just a matter of how's it going to shake out I'm excited about the receiver battle this summer really mm-hmm. excited about it it's ridiculous when you think about how the 2016 depth chart ended yep. and right now you look going top to bottom Alshon Jeffrey Torrey Smith, Jordan Matthews, no particular order here, but those three to start with. Nelson Aguilar coming back, Matt Collins, Shelton Gibson, then it's like Doriel Green back home, Paul Turner, Rashid Bailey. Like, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. Not to mention the kids that were on the, the roster last summer that flashed and were, have been here. You know, you talk about Marcus like the, Johnson. Marcus Johnson and uh, David um, Watford. David Watford for, from JMU. I mean, they've, they've got some talent that it's going to be a really fun competition. It's almost, it's very much similar to the offensive line two years ago. I remember coming out of the 2015 season, the offensive line was the number one need. And, and then you bring in Brandon Brooks and you bring in some of the talent through the draft that they did with Sayamalu and Vitae. And now you you continue adding depth with Chance Warmack. That that battle up front is going to be really fun to mm-hmm. watch as well. Yeah, and you figure six at the most are going to make it. Some at teams only go with five. Um, so it's I mean these guys are going to be going at it. They're they're going at each other. I mean let's face it, they're going to be fighting for their jobs. So it's going to be really fun to watch training camp here this summer. All right, so sticking in the fifth round, the Eagles took a player who was a defensive back in college, but is making the move to linebacker in the NFL. Nate Gary. Two things that stood out to me about Nate Gary. Uh, number one, his physicality as a safety. Um, and number two, his instincts, especially in zone coverage. I thought he was a really smart player. Uh, and for that reason, I thought that he could stick at safety if he wanted to. It would be as a prototypical box player. But when I heard they were making the move to linebacker, I said, that makes a ton of sense. Completely see it. Uh, you go and you look at him in the senior bowl. He played a ton down near the line of scrimmage. He's very comfortable playing close to the line in the run game. Uh, he's. I mentioned those instincts and in coverage. 
he's got the ability, and the Eagles ask a lot. And you think back to the interception uh, that Nigel Bradham made against Chicago late in Monday Night Football, how instinctive a play that was in zone coverage. You go back to Jordan Hicks and some of the interceptions he made as an underneath player. I think that Nate Jerry can make a lot of similar plays because of his awareness, his ability to, to read routes as a zone coverage player underneath. He's physical. Joe Douglas mentioned that he can get up to 235. He's right around 220 now. So I'm excited about this guy because I think he can develop into a starting linebacker. Yeah, I think the Eagles looked at him and they said he's best suited when he's up around the line of scrimmage. We're going to make him a linebacker. Maybe he doesn't fit what we do at safety, but he could fit exactly into what we do at linebacker, sideline to sideline, a hard-nosed guy, a physical player, not afraid to throw his body around, fits that Jim Schwartz style of defense. Uh, And there's actually a play of his where you can watch it online where he intercepts the pass, the quarterback tackles him, and then he hands the ball back to the quarterback right in his face to kind of taunt him a little bit. He gets flagged for it, so maybe we'll work on the flag. But that kind of attitude, I think the Philly fans will like that. You know what I also love, too, about the the strategy behind it is that this was not a great linebacker class. We've mentioned that a few times, that that was one of the more shallow position groups. So rather than say, all right, well, you know, let's let's – go with one of these other linebackers how about thinking outside the box and saying you know what we've got this safety here who would probably be as a safety would be a a seventh round pick undrafted free agent type let's try and turn him into a linebacker all of a sudden he's rising he's a little bit higher on our board we see him now as a linebacker I think that's really good foresight and outside the box thinking for this group yeah so he probably will be on the weak side uh right now I would guess he's probably backing up Michael Kendricks at this point but he's comfortable in coverage was very productive at safety, was a ball hawk. So those are the traits you would love to have. You would love to have a playmaking linebacker like a Jordan Hicks who can come up with forced fumbles and interceptions for you. It's rare to find a Jordan Hicks, so if the Eagles can find one here in Nate Garrett, that would be a late-round steal. And also it's a position where the Eagles you know, sort of had some questions when it came to depth. You have Najee Good. He's your trusted veteran who can play all three spots, but then Joe Walker's coming off the ACL. Uh, Kamu Grugier Hill was on the roster last year. He was a, a special teams contributor. Um, but beyond that, you really you didn't know what you had there. So it was good to see the Eagles add some more depth to that spot. Uh, the last pick for the Eagles in the sixth round, 214th overall, defensive tackle Elijah Qualls of Washington was very excited uh, when his name came up um, because it just looked like he would be an ideal fit in the Eagles scheme with Jim Schwartz. Yeah, and it seems like another one of these players where you kind of thought that he would go a little bit earlier. I think a lot of people looked at Qualls and said maybe he's a fourth-round pick, maybe a, you know a late third, anywhere from the late third to the fifth round, and he falls to the Eagles at pick 214 in the sixth. Then uh, another de- you know a depth player that you can add on that defensive line. You have a question mark in Bo Allen right now uh, coming off a pectoral injury. So uh, you add a little bit of depth there, and I think he's a really athletic player. If you look at him, He's a bigger guy. I think he's listed at like 313 pounds or somewhere around there, 310. But he's athletic for how big he is. He can move. He can, you know, he can chase down screens and plays like that. I think this was a really, really good pick for the Eagles here late in round six. He was, to me, when I watched him, I thought he was going to be a, like a late day two pick. Like I thought he was a, a third round talent. He was actually, you know, and I don't go strictly by like how I rank guys, but he was my fifth defensive tackle. Um, because he's got the ability to line up at a number of different spots. I know his body type's not ideal. He's got shorter arms than any defensive tackle drafted uh, in the last five years. 
But when you look at a former high school running back, he ran for 1,800 yards or something like that his junior year of high school. Uh, he was so thinking outside the box. Do you think the Eagles are going to use him as a running hey, back? Hey, maybe he's a fullback. You know, <laughs> we saw the Honey Bobo package last year. Uh, we never know. We might he- see here with Elijah Qualls, but uh, a guy that's got really light feet for a big man uh, lined up at one. You know, you know the injuries that Washington had. Remember in those in the playoff game against Alabama, they lost Joe Mathis and Azeem Victor and a bunch of players up front. Qualls had to pl- wear a number of different hats, and he was playing as a defensive end again at 330 pounds as a defensive end. He was standing up over the center and being moved around the formation. I mean, he was asked to do a lot of different things as a big defensive tackle. Uh, really, really in- intriguing player. And you mentioned that high motor stood out every single game I watched of him. He- he's a really fun player to watch. All right, so there's our look at the Eagles' eight draft picks, and uh, they will arrive in town next Thursday as rookie minicamp begins the following day next Friday. So that's going to do it for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Pick 6, six players on the roster who benefited the most from the draft. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, I'm going to kick things off here. In our final pick six for uh, the 2017 draft season. And I'm going to take the easy way out, as I always do. <laughs> Don't worry, Fran. There's already 2018 There'll be tape. a draft next year, too, Fran. Yes, Don't worry. Right, indeed. Right. Unless the apocalypse comes. But uh, I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to go quarterback Carson Wentz benefited from the draft. You look at the weapons that he received with Matt Collins and Shelton Gibson. You know, another underneath option with Donnell Pumphrey. And the defense got better. That's the thing is everyone said, well, you got to build around Carson. you got to give him weapons. To me, that doesn't just mean offense. That means if you improve the defense and Carson doesn't have to put up 20 points, you know, 24 points, 27 points each and every week, that's going to help him in his development. But you gave him another big target in Matt Collins. You gave him some down-the-threat options, down-the-field options, you know, with Hollins and Gibson. Uh a lot of people have been saying, well, I don't think Carson has the arm to let loose. He just didn't have the options. He didn't have the players to send it to last year. Now he does, and I think we're going to see a totally different Carson Wentz in year two. The guy I went with was the best player on the defensive side of the football, Fletcher Cox, because how often last year did we say, man, they just, they're just they not getting enough push up front, but look at how many blockers the, the opposing offense is using to block Fletcher Cox. I mean, when you look at some of those games, I think back to the Green Bay game, there were times where he was not just double teamed, but triple teamed, uh, and we just could not get a rush up front from the rest of the defensive line. I think when you added Derek Barnett to this group, uh, it has the ability now, you can put Vinnie Curry inside, and you have the ability now to rush from a number of different spots and add pressure, and if Derek Barnett can just attract even just a little bit more attention, or if Brandon Graham, you know, if he can help Brandon Graham out now and he can attract even just a little bit more attention, I think that frees up Fletcher Cox from a little bit less of the focus now for opposing blocking schemes. All right, guys, I'm going to go back to the offensive side here for the player that I think on the entire roster benefited the most from this draft. And I think it's Wendell Smallwood because a lot of outsiders looked at this, you know, this Eagles roster heading into the draft and like we've talked about, they said, okay, you need, you need that number one running back. You got to find a guy whether it's in the first round, whether it's you know day two, whenever it is, you got to find that number one running back. And I've already talked about how I really like Danell Pumphrey and how he fits for this team, but I don't think that he's you know that foundation kind of running back. So when you look at how the roster is built right now, if there was a game today, which obviously there isn't, Wendell Smallwood would be your number one running back. Uh, and, and you look at his numbers last year, obviously he was pretty limited. He had the injury late in the year. Um, but he still had over 300 yards. He averaged 4.1 yards per carry. So I think in a very, very small sample size, 
Wendell Smallwood showed that you know if he is that number one guy, and, and obviously he'd be a, he'd probably be a part of a rotation with some of the other players here as well. But if he's that number one guy, I do think that he's capable of it. Uh, so looking at what the Eagles did in the draft or didn't do in the draft at the running back position, I think that Wendell Smallwood certainly benefited. All right, I'm going to go back to the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with slot cornerback. Ron Brooks, because when you look at the two guys Eagles brought in, Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas, they're primarily outside guys, okay? So Sidney Jones obviously not going to play, likely in 2017. Douglas, I think, will battle for starting spot on the outside. So Ron Brooks, who suffered the quad injury and missed the second half of last season, I think has a great chance to come in and be able to reclaim that slot corner job. We did see Jalen Mills working there. Uh, last year at times. I know Malcolm Jenkins became the primary slot guy when Brooks went down. You know, I don't know if Jim Schwartz will want to keep Malcolm Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod on the back end at safety full-time this season as much as I know that Jenkins wants to be lined up in the slot and enjoys and embraces that challenge. But I think it gives Ron Brooks a great opportunity um, coming off the injury to have a chance to pretty much reclaim that spot that he had at the start of the 2016 season. Yeah, that's a good one, and, I, and I'm going to stay on defense, and I'm going to say a player that I don't think you guys would have expected, I was going to say. I'm going to say Jordan Hicks. Hmm. And the reason why is because C-Max spoiled it earlier. <laughs> I think you got I think you got to include Timmy Jernigan with, with this draft group and the fact that they were able to add Timmy Jernigan to put next to Fletcher Cox and give the Eagles another body up front to really kind of help take away some attention from Jordan Hicks. Regardless of who's up front, Jordan Hicks is still going to have to deal with offensive linemen at the point of attack. That's just the nature of the scheme. But I think when you add a player like uh, Timmy Jernigan, and not to mention Elijah Qualls, who, like I mentioned earlier, is a pretty good player in himself uh, in his own right, I think when you add those players inside, it can only help a player like Jordan Hicks, who's in now his full first real offseason, not rehabbing here in Philadelphia. Guys, my second player who I really think benefited from this draft, and I'm actually really excited about this, is Trey Burton. Because... Uh, you know, obviously with Burton, you can line him up at tight end, you can put him in the backfield, you can do a lot of different things with him. But I think a lot of people looked at the Eagles going into this draft and said, okay, the Eagles could probably add a tight end here, even with Brent Selleck and Zach Ertz and Trey Burton on the roster. Or maybe they looked to add a fullback somewhere along the way. Um, but they didn't, and I think that shows that they have a lot of confidence in Trey Burton and in the versatility that he brings. And, and I think Trey Burton is an outstanding player. He's tremendous on special teams. Uh, but even on the offensive side of the ball, you can do a lot of different things with him. So I, I think that he benefits a lot from not having another tight end in here. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to another year of development from him because I really think that he can develop into uh, kind of that jack-of-all-trades and that, that mismatch nightmare on this Eagles offense. All right, so those are the six players who we think benefited the most from the draft. Now it's time for the unofficial visit. Ike Reese and myself had a chance to interview Sidney Jones, a team's second-round pick, during draft weekend on Eagles Draft Live presented by Deeds and Watson. Here is that interview as we discussed his rehab, his mental approach, and what he's going to bring to the Eagles cornerback position. The unofficial visit. we like to welcome inside the studio here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com via telephone the newest Eagles cornerback, the 43rd selection in the 2017 NFL Draft, none other than former Washington Husky Sidney Jones, Sidney, Chris McPherson, and Ike Reese here in Philadelphia. Welcome to the Eagles family. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, Sidney, what was it like when you got the phone call from the Eagles 
who was on, who's around you from your family. Just set up that scenario for us. Oh man, I was I was in my house with my family, um, and I kind of. I kind of was hoping I would get a call, which it happened. The call came, shocked me on my face, and I, and, I, and I picked up the phone and, you know, talked to Howie and, and the whole staff, and I was, just, you know, emotional. My mom came and, and hugged me, and we were just hugging while I was on the phone, and I was just crying. I, I, could, barely, I could barely speak. Um, it was just an emotional emotional time. It was It was amazing. Yeah, I'm sure it was an emotional day for you. And for, for a guy of your skill set that prior to this injury was projected to be in the first round, if not the top corner, the first cornerback selected, uh, just talk about uh, being able to get over that uh, mental hurdle and the frustration of getting to the point of where you almost completed the whole pre-draft process with the workouts, the pro day, the combine and everything, and to have this this injury happen to you at your pro day. Just talk about being able to get through that and, and the people who helped you sort of get through that that tough time for you. Um, you know, that was a that was a shocking moment in my life. Um, but you know, adversity hits and that's how you respond to it. That's ultimately gonna determine like who you are as a person. And I'm, I'm priding myself on that um, big time. So uh, I just had a I just had a major support system around me. Everybody, I'm have a I'm cool with everybody. So um, just everybody sends sends me their love and their support and gives me advice. And you know I take and I, I listen. That definitely helps. Um, so just my whole support system around me helped me in these times. Just as, as my mindset did too. So just those two things, you know, made everything easier on me. Sydney, to be a cornerback, you have to be mentally tough. How did you develop that, and how has that toughness helped you through this time where you're battling back from the Achilles injury? Um, mentally tough is, is just being a being a part of like the fo- just football. I, I football I've been playing since I was six years old, so being mentally tough, you're, you're, I'm ba- I was basically trained all my life, you know, to, to be mentally tough. Um, also, I watched it; it developed even more. Um, that was, that was one of the biggest things to emphasize. Um, you have to be mentally tough to play this, play this game of football. So just um, all my life, mentally tough, being mentally tough is something that's been preached to me over and over again, and, and that's that's what I am. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some fun stuff. You're on you're on the field ability, man. Certainly, first team All American, first team All Conference twice, uh, nine interceptions throughout your career. Like I said big playmaker uh, in that secondary out there at the University of Washington. What are some of the things uh, that you do well that make you one of the uh, top corners coming out in this year's draft? What's some of your strengths uh, as a cornerback? Man-to-man coverage, press, um, very competitive. I I have great ball skills. Uh, I like like to have that ball uh, get back in the hands of my offense. So, that's one of the things I, I, I pride myself on, and you know, Washington prides itself on too. So um, that's, that's not going to change. So hopefully, you know, when I get on that field, yeah, I was making, I was making turnovers and getting interceptions and forced fumbles like I've always done. Yeah. When, when you look at your game, who would you say your game most uh, uh, resembles, or, or who do you sort of pattern yourself uh, after? If there's anybody in the NFL right now. 
Uh, I don't count myself as anybody. I'm, I believe I'm my own player. Um, I don't believe anybody, you know, I want people to look at to me like, I don't want to play like, play like him. Um, but I don't, I don't begin with myself after anybody in this league. I'm my own player. Sydney, you played wide receiver as well as defensive back in high school. How have those wide receiver skills helped you become a top-tier cornerback at the collegiate level? Um, just going back to those nine interceptions, um, that's, you got to have hands to, you know, get those interceptions. You know, everybody doesn't get a whole bunch of interceptions, and that's probably because of all, you know, the skill set in that area. Um, but growing up as a, as a wide receiver, I've always tried myself in, you know, not, not dropping the ball. So I make that I make that a mission all the time, um, just not to drop the ball. You go throughout practice and and you know I basically punish myself if I ever do, and I'm hard I'm hard on myself. Um, so that just translates, to, you know, not dropping any, any interceptions, trying or trying not to, you know, you get you get some I call it missed ops every once in a while. Um, but it's like it as least of those as possible and catch everything that comes your way. That's what I pride myself on. What What have you heard about playing football here in the city of Philadelphia? Whether it be playing uh, just for the fans here or just playing in this defense under Jim Swartz, uh, what have you heard about playing football here? Um, the fans, the fans, you know, are very passionate about their football team, and, and they love they love them, them some Eagles. So um, it's a big fan base and. I'm a part of. I'm happy to be a part of it, and uh, I just want to make the fans, you know, happy and, and proud of you know my work that I do. Sydney, for fans who are you know going on YouTube trying to find as many highlights as they can right now of your game to learn more about you, what is one game in particular, or maybe one play that kind of signifies and summarizes the type of player the Eagles are getting in one Sydney Jones? You want a game? Yeah. Top game, if you were to look at highlights, what's the game that stands out to most to you from your college career? I would say this past year, 2016 versus Cal. All right, we're always scrambling, going to YouTube, trying to find the highlight right now so we can see because, you know, you're going against guys like Juju Smith-Schuster who also went in the second round of the draft. So definitely one of the most prolific passing attacks year in and year out. Certainly would be a good one to watch. You face some good receivers there in the Pac-12. Test yourself well. Helped get Washington to the college football playoff and showed why you are worthy of being selected number 43 by the Philadelphia Eagles. Sidney Jones, welcome to the Eagles family. Go home, celebrate, enjoy the time, and we can't wait to see you here in Philadelphia as you make your way and work to get back on the football field to help this team in the future. Thanks so much. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Gentlemen, it's the last segment. Unbelievable. Where's the time going, guys? Draft mailbag. You want unbelievable? I'll give you unbelievable. <laughs> I started getting 2018 draft questions on, <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> you were, well, at least you didn't do a mock draft yet, which some people Thank are. you. I, I'm never going to, so <laughs> you count on that. Draft mailbag. We have one question. Oh, God. And one question only. Yes. 
This is this we're is saving the awful. best for last year. <laughs> and I love I love the we, person that asked this question because he always does really great stuff on Twitter, and I, and I really a, enjoy look, his look his this question. Commentary. And we're, we're I know we're teasing a lot before we actually get to it. This is a legitimate <laughs> question. Of sure. course. It's a very legitimate question, but we are going to hear this question. Uh, how many days until the next draft? 360-some, 350-whatever? 60 actually. We're going to hear this question no less than 700 times, <laughs> twice a day at least, <laughs> until the next draft starts. So get ready, guys. On get average, your answers yeah. ready. Here's the first one. So congratulations uh, to, our, to our, our fan who got this question. You're the first one to ask it, and you'll be the first of 700 people to ask us this. At Pete Nathan. On Twitter, wants to know Saquon Barkley to the Eagles. Uh. <laughs> Listen, Alex, I wanted to get out ahead of it. So, guess what I did this morning when I came into the office? What? You I watched, watched him? Oh, Saquon no. the sickness. <laughs> the sickness. He's actually a really good player. <laughs> I know he's a really good player. I think he's, he's fantastic. Well, I think you he's terrific. Just have the Joe Moorhead Fordham bias. Well, yes, I do. I absolutely do. But no, but because of that, I watched a lot of Penn State games last year, and I do think that he's absolutely incredible. I think he's better than Ezekiel Elliott. It's a, Ooh, wow! I'll say that. I think he's better. I think he's better than Leonard Fournette. I wow. think he is. Can yes. we save this podcast for wow. next year? Yeah, you can save this one. And then we'll see what happens. You can send it to the Freezing Cold Takes Twitter account, too, to see what they say f- five years from now about it. But I think that Saquon Barkley is tremendous. I think he's an incredible talent. And I would love him on the Eagles. Are you kidding me? But it's way too early to talk about it right now. And I know we're going to hear this question 700,000 times. He's really good in the passing game. <laughs> he's really physical. He more than holds his own as a blocker. He's actually very good in pass protection. He picks up the blitz very well. Good hands, really explosive. I'm tempted to ask Fran where he's ranked yeah. if he were in the 2017 draft class. But I would say oh he'd boy. be right below Leonard Fournette for me right now. But I want to say we have a whole other year to wait and see. Whole other year of of at to Eagles mentions to scrutinize. Just remember that at Eagles said that he's better than Leonard Fournette and Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna see the mentions like scrolling in my nightmares. <laughs> They're just gonna be like hovering over me when I'm looking up at night and just all Saquon Barkley. Get Saquon Barkley. Trade up for Saquon Barkley. <laughs> see, it's true. Tag the season for Saquon Barkley. Whatever it takes. It's go- it's gonna be. Just write it on a piece of paper right now. Just put it in your drawer. We should have like an auto response. You know, you can send an email on your email. You can send an auto response when you're out of the office or whatever. We should send an auto response on Twitter to when people ask about Saquon Barkley. And what would it be? He's better than Leonard Fournette <laughs> yes. and Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> Is he related to Charles Barkley? No, I don't think so. I didn't expect him to be. <laughs> I don't think so. He is related to, uh, I forget his dad's name now. His, his dad and He's his related to uncle. his dad? His dad and his great uncle were great boxers. His dad was a Golden Glove winner. Really? And his, his great, un- and his great uncle uh, fought Roberto Duran and a number of other big boxers, wore like three titles and however, and throughout his career. He brings a boxer's mentality to the running back oh position, Alex. God. Yeah. There's going to be a statue of him in Philadelphia, too, <laughs> along with Rocky and Joe Frazier. He's really good in the zone run game, too. I, I was going to say something about puncher's mentality to the running back <laughs> position, but I will digress. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so we've gone through it. That's it. That's it. You got a teaser to 2018 on <laughs> the back end and a full recap of 2017 <laughs> all in one podcast, and it will take you all the way up until the Shrine Game Week of 2018. Let's book those tickets now, baby. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm already doing my 2018 draft prep. We kind of are. 
I, I, sadly enough, I've looked at some of the mock drafts already. Oh, uh, what's wrong with you? Why would you do I that? I wouldn't do that. I haven't even done that. That's sick. That's disgusting. I think I'm picking up on Fran's sickness. I mean, at least, at least I'll wait till the time in between uh, OTAs and training camp. That, that quiet time might be when I'll start lurking a little bit, but just a little bit. Maybe when I make it to my dark room to cry about the <laughs> drafting over, I'll find my way to click on The drafts. only light in that room will be you watching <laughs> Saquon Barkley footage, nothing else. <laughs> he uh, is the light. He's got a really, he impress- is the he's way. Got, he's got really impressive contact, Miles. Have I mentioned that yet? <laughs> Here we go. I think that's the only way to wrap it up. Oh, Again, special thanks to all of you for bearing with us through the entire draft season. Shout out to Brian Thomas, our steam producer, for making things happen behind the glass. For Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. You have enjoyed Journey to the Draft, presented by AAA.